0: The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, it's Andy. Before we start today's interview, I'd like to ask for a favor. If you listen on Apple, please write us a review and rate the podcast. It helps more people discover the show. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast with a friend. And now, on to the interview. Hello everyone, and welcome to At Barron's. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Pat Gelsinger, CEO of Intel. Pat, great to see you.
1: Hey, great to be with you, Andy, and thanks for the opportunity to be on At
0: Barron's today. Of course, chip makers very much in the news, your old rival AMD, and of course ARM, Nvidia, um, Taiwan Semiconductor. Talk to us about exactly where Intel fits into this competitive landscape, Pat.
1: Yeah, thank you, Andy. And you know, clearly, you know, I came back to Intel, you know, over a period of time. You know, Intel had lost its way, lost its leadership. You know, lost its engineering. Or uh, in the you know words of our famous uh, founder Andy Grove, we had lost our Grovian culture. Right, this maniac, data-driven, engineering-centric you know, view. So, what have we been doing? Rebuild the company. And uh, so, two and a half years ago, we began what I called the IDM 2.0 journey. Right? Intel was the integrated design and manufacturer. Now, under IDM 2.0, we're going to design, we're going to manufacture, and we're going to be a foundry or manufacturer for other people's chips as well. So, a major strategic shift. You know, it also became a major capital cycle. Hey, we were under-investing in factory. Hey, we are going to aggressively invest in the build-out of factories for the future. So a big capital investment. a Also rebuilding of our technology leadership. Hey, we've done every major transistor invention for three decades. Do it again and get back to transistor and process leadership, but also rebuild the engineering disciplines. Products on or ahead of schedule products that the competitors fear and customers love. So all of those things and two and a half years in, you know, I say we have a passing grade. We're getting it done. We're rebuilding the company and also driving some pretty major shifts in the industry as well. And, you know, Chips Act and reshoring and rebalancing of supply chains. This has become, you know, a major geopolitical as well as technology and business story also.
0: There's a lot to pick up on there, as well as your personal story at the company, which is remarkable. You alluded to that a little bit. But just a quick uh, question about um, part of the business, Programmable Solutions Group, Mm -hmm. which is a business you're looking to spin off. Talk to us about what that means and how that fits into the strategy.
1: Yeah, and when I came back to the company, uh, Andy, looking at the assets of the company, hey, I said, we're going to build two companies inside of one, manufacturing and foundry and Fabulous products like an AMD or NVIDIA and a TSMC. We're gonna do both of those. But I also looked at the assets of the company and said, where are we not getting the most value, most execution or shareholder return? So we spun out Mobileye. Very successful. And we did that like a year ago. I announced that we had a, you know a technology equipment company, IMS as it's called for mask writing and equipments. And you know, so hey, we're creating another company in that area. And Intel had acquired Altera, you know, eight, eight-ish years ago, and we underperformed with it as part of Intel. So I said, hey, we're going to set that up to again be an independent company, but continue to leverage Intel and in our manufacturing uh, capabilities. So essentially, I'm creating two companies plus three satellite companies. You know, we're really reshaping the entirety of the Intel entity as you would think about it and you know I'm quite excited about the progress that we're making you know with PSG and in this area PSG you know programmable solutions group as we call it you know FPGAs and you know with that you know how can I get that company back that it's a financial leader you know a technology leader and the company that customers love for long-term supply and being able to build their technology on top of that uh, company so quite Quite enthused, and we've announced that we'll be separating it in early part of next year and uh, hope to do an IPO of it in two, three years. Well Those FPGAs, Gatorays, I know you'd love to talk about that. But I want to talk about your global
0: footprint mm-hmm. um, because it's a, it's a risky world out there. You have manufacturing and fabs around the globe, including um, some exposure in Israel. How do you think about global risk? In that context bad.
1: Yeah and this has been a huge agenda in my period as CEO. The world needs balanced and resilient supply chains. You know and with that you know it's pretty straightforward. Hey you know we can't have one port you know as we saw in the COVID crisis and the world stops. You know we can't have one island where we're dependent. We need globally balanced and resilient supply chains, and that's a lot behind the CHIPS Act, that's a lot behind you know, our build outs. I, you know, I only have eight major construction projects underway today, uh, Ireland, Israel, Poland, Germany, uh, and uh, uh, you know, the build out in the U.S. with our CHIPS Act uh, proposals in Arizona, Oregon, uh, New Mexico, and Ohio, and in Malaysia and Vietnam. Balanced across Asian, right, U.S. Americas, and uh, Europe. Uh, obviously, in Israel, right, we were one of the first companies in Israel. You know, next year will be year fifty for Intel in uh, Israel, and you know what an extraordinary story, right, of them really emerging as they call it the startup nation uh, that they have, and you know leadership technology and numerous. Domains and I also have a manufacturing site there as well. So for us, this is deeply personal. You know, my next trip there—well over a hundred visits to Israel over my career. Many personal friends uh, that I have there, business colleagues that have become lifelong, you know, intimate friends of mine and my family. So yeah, this is very important to us. But they're operating with extraordinary resilience, and we continue to see our operations—you know—continue to perform well even today. Mm.
0: China is another area where you have exposure, relationships, manufacturing facilities. In this new environment where there's tension between the United States and chips have become a focal point, how are you thinking about that?
1: You know, it's uh, clearly one of these right geopolitical overtures that has enormous implications as you think about industries broadly. But in particular, 25% or so of all semiconductors are used or consumed in China, and it uh, delivers another 25 to 30% of the supply chains of the world. So that's half of all semiconductors are used or flow through China. It's not like we can decide in the US, Oh, let's stop doing China. That's half the market, right? It's an extraordinary piece inside of it. So our policies, our thoughts on this regard, Need to be very long-term, strategic, intentional uh, in that uh, respect, and we can't let that just become. You know, are we going to like or not like a particular policy in the U.S. or China or Europe? No, we must be engaged in this. It is a vital piece of the global supply chains. You know, that said, hmm, you know there is concerns, and I say, hey, we want to maximize exports every day of the week, including China, half of the semiconductor market of the world we want to be very thoughtful about how technologies flow and we need to be you know finally aligned with our allies and to me those three parts you know manage the technologies align with our allies but maximize our export is the right long-term policy for how we treat China in this part of the world and as we look at it today you know this is precarious we haven't been operating this way for decades and all of a sudden covid caused us all to wake up and realize oh my mm-hmm. we're dependent on these supply chains how did that happen Well, it was 30 years of policy that led us to this point.
0: Seeing a lot of building of chip uh, capacity here in the United States, you mentioned several projects that you have going on. Can that manufacturing really be competitive in terms of producing chips that are affordable for industry?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Andy. And that's at the heart of the CHIPS Act. And, you know, fundamentally, you know, if I were building that Ohio factory or any of the other ones that we've mentioned, in Asia, it'd be thirty to forty percent less expensive. When you're putting one hundred and fifty billion of capital to work, you can't be thirty to forty percent uncompetitive in that regard. And what the Chips and Science Act was designed to do was close that gap, so that we could bring this manufacturing back to America uh, and uh, rebuild, you know, what I would call is the, you know, instead of the Rust Belt, the Silicon Heartland. You know, bringing back manufacturing at scale and, you know, construction and technicians and the full gamut of the uh, workforce and, you know, these manufacturing and fabrication facilities, you know, know, our studies have shown they generate 10 jobs for every job that we create. You know, close the cost gap, you know, build this momentum of energy, of investment, resurgence, skills creation and job, you know, creation. And you know, I also like to ask the question, what aspect of your life is not becoming more digital? Everything, mm-hmm. right? And everything digital runs on semiconductors. You know, this is how you wake up in the morning. This is how your thermostat runs. This is your autonomous vehicle. You know, this is every aspect of humanity is becoming digital. It all runs on semiconductors. And that's even before we get to national security. We must have resilient, Leadership technology, where oil reserves have been, have defined geopolitics for the last five decades, where the technology supply chains, manufacturing, and building occurs is more important for the next five decades. Let's build them where we want them. Right. And generative
0: AI, artificial intelligence. So that is a huge end market for chips going forward. And I'm wondering how Intel plays there.
1: Yeah, you know, and we we get to play two ways. One is, well, hey, I have my generative AI chips. And we said, you know, build AI into everything right build it into the pcs build it into the edge computer so that when you walk into you know the manufacturing or the distribution right you know it's doing facial recognition or being able to do security monitoring you know at the edge right in the client uh, every application and every enterprise data center mining that data will become aiified Right, but it's also the big cloud environments for the big training. So we have components that you know will fit into every one of those uh, different application areas. So build our products mm-hmm. AI everywhere and in every product that we build. But secondly, we're going to be a foundry for the chips that don't get built by Intel. And to me, that's sort of you know I get two bites of the apple here because some of those chips and you know. You know, is Google going to stop building their chip to only use mine? Uh, Maybe not. Are they going to founder with us? Maybe so. You know, so we do have opportunities to to open, you know, our manufacturing and technology envelope to every company on the industry and say, come on in. We're open for business to be your foundry or your chip provider.
0: The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You talked about the early days of Intel and working with Andy Grove. There was also Gordon Moore and Noyce. And I want to ask you about Moore's Law. Because some people have suggested that Moore's Law, which talks about chips getting more and more powerful, is kind of wander- go- ending, that chips are no longer getting powerful enough uh, going forward according to Moore's Law. Is Moore's Law dead, Pat?
1: Absolutely not, right? And uh, you know, Moore's Law, this doubling of transistors every two to three years. You know, today, the most advanced chips that we build are about 100 billion transistors. I have clean line of sight to hit a trillion transistors by the end of the decade, hundred billion to a trillion transistors on a chip. That's Moore's law is alive and well. And as I you know, look at Intel, you know, the company I'm responsible for and the steward of, you know, we are the company that I say is the stewards of Moore's law. And uh, the language I use until the periodic table is exhausted, Moore's law is not dead. Mm-hmm. Our job is keep it alive and well. And we keep mining that periodic table. There's a lot of science and invention yet in front of us. It's alive and well, a trillion transistor chip by the end of the decade on it. What
0: about the supply demand balance when it comes to chips? Some people have suggested there's a glut now
1: after there was a shortage during COVID. Yeah. And, you know, the semiconductor industry is a long lead time capital intensive industry that, you know, the only way to run factories is 101% full, right? So you have demand, you know, I mean, you have supply signals going up and down. We have the huge COVID surge. And as a result of those characteristics, the industry has always been cyclical. And right, as I would say, uh, or uh, I would quote Gordon Moore, he said, we have supply-demand balance exactly two moments in time. One moment on the way up, one moment on the way down. Mm-hmm. It's a cyclic industry. So you know, some amount of you know, supply-demand, that's the nature of the industry. But today, you know, the industry is about $600 billion. The estimates are it's a trillion dollars by the end of the decade. It takes me four to five years to build a major new factory location. If I believe we're going from $600 billion to a trillion at the end of the decade, I must be making those capital investments now, even if there might be some near-term you know, supply-demand uh, imbalances. I am absolutely convinced this is so critical for the future. We're building for the trillion-dollar industry at the end of the decade.
0: I want to ask you about employment, Pat, and finding workers and retaining workers as well. What does the labor picture right now look like for you just in the United States?
1: Yeah, In the US, you know, my biggest shortage right now uh, is uh, actually in skilled construction workers you know, for the factories that we're building and that's the biggest <laughs> shortages that we face right now. You know, I need more plumbers and electricians and you know, concrete workers because we're building. But, you know, keeping the best workforce, particularly in technology, if you're a great engineer, you are in demand, right? You always have been, you always uh, will be, so you're fighting for labor. But as we build and rebuild manufacturing, there's going to be a lot of technicians that I need to uh, be training for. So a piece of the Chips and Science Act was very much on workforce development, and this is something where a lot of residents, uh, uh, even on this trip, I'm stopping in at Purdue. You know, we've seen extraordinary interest in the Midwest schools. And that was really a big, I'll say, enthusiastic piece of our Ohio site announcement. All the Midwest schools all of a sudden said, hey, we're going to partner. Right? And this is like you know, Ohio State and Michigan State. They've been mortal enemies for 100 years. They're partnering. On mm. workforce development, and and to me, this idea has really resonated. You know, the Rust Belt is dead, the Silicon Heartland, and the talent, the skills emerging to support that. I'm really quite excited about what this means for the long term of students. And you know, when I had the pleasure mm. of giving the uh, commencement speech at uh, uh, Ohio State, right, I says, I want all of your kids to come home to all the parents. You know. Mm. Because the tech boom right. affected the coast, not the center of the nation.
0: Well, if you're getting those Big Ten schools to talk to each other, I mean, that is, that's something. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit and ask about you. You are a person of faith, a religious person, and I'm wondering <clears throat> excuse me, how that manifests itself at work or if it does at all.
1: Yeah, and you know, clearly uh, I've been very public about my faith views. I've written a book you know, juggling uh, God, family, and faith. Uh, about uh, faith, work, life, mm-hmm. balance. Uh, Intel's been recognized as the most uh, faith-friendly company by the UN for two uh, consecutive uh, years. You know, it's part of who I am as a leader, but I also realize you know, my May faith perspectives are not yours, but almost 80% of humanity puts their faith views as one of their top three priorities for their life, most important things. And if almost 80% of humanity puts it in the top three, then I need to put it in the top three as well. As an employer, right, from diversity and inclusion perspective, I want your whole self, your ethnic views, and your faith views to be accepted, understood. No, not just accepted, I want them to be reinforced and highlighted, because that's when I get the whole self to the workforce. And, And for me, I also believe I'm on a mission. I'm on a calling. You know, God put me in this job. He's prepared me for 40 years of my career to be this person leading this company at this time, to rebuild the iconic Intel, to rebuild the technology industry, and fundamentally to rebuild manufacturing on Western shores. You know, that is a calling that I think I uniquely wake up each day and I say, you know, thank you, God, for giving me the skills, the training, but even more importantly, the wisdom and your guidance to go do this job every day. You started at Intel when you were 18 years old in
0: 1979, went away for a decade almost, and then have come back. Final question, Pat. Why should investors buy or hold
1: Intel stock? So here we are. When when I took the job, my wife asked me the the two questions. How much are you going to have to work, and how long are you going to have to work? And on the how long, I said, it's not less than five years to turn around this company. So here we are two and a half years in, halfway point on that journey, hmm. we're starting to see the financials look better. Hmm. The products that we've worked on for the last two and a year, half years, oh, they're executing better. Hmm. They've regained market share. Huh? They, they laid out this audacious plan to get back to technology and transistor leadership. They're hmm. sort of like halfway through it and executing for it, you know, clearly there's been some doubt debate whether we could pull off this audacious plan two and a half years into it you know the green shoots are starting to become you know proper seedlings and I'd say now's the time to get into the show. you know the evidence is building that the greatest turnaround but not only the greatest turnaround but the most important turnaround in the industry if not, the entirety, right, of the business world today is now taking shape. This is an opportunity. That's what I'm passionate about, and I think we're starting to develop real evidence that yes, in fact, we're gonna pull it off. Get on in and join us. Pat Gelsinger,
0: CEO of Intel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Andy. This is At Barrens. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll catch you next time. The production team for At Barons is Elias Miladou, Rebecca Bisdale, Kinga Rojcik, Joe Lusby, and Laura Salaberry. The executive producers are Kristen Belstrom and Melissa Haggerty. We'll be back with a new episode next week.